Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Yes, welcome to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM. And also... Live web streaming at www.triplehfm.com.au. And then afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes and all the bad places as well. You know, since we started uh, bringing female broadcasters onto our sports team in uh, 2019... Uh, we have always made a point of trying to introduce them to our listening audience before uh, we give them almost full reign as callers. We did that with Sarah Marshke and Alex Bellamy around this time last year and the latest inclusion to the sports team, the female sports team, is this lady that we're going to speak to, to in this episode of Splinters for the next hour or so. Multi-talented, multi-faceted, heavily involved with the University of New South Wales Sports Union as well as the university's Women's Cricket Club, amongst other things. Georgia Lomas-Futuran is the latest member to come on board here at Triple H. So it was only fair that we introduce her to you on this episode of Splinters. Georgia, welcome aboard and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Tony, and hello to everyone listening. Take us through then what was the attraction for you in sport, when you started off as a little, uh, as a little, I would I wouldn't say whippersnapper, but a uh, but a girl growing up in a rapidly changing environment back in, you know, the the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up in a Greek family and and South African family as well, so rugby and soccer were very much a part of my upbringing. Mm. I joined soccer when I was eight years old. It was the compromise that my parents and I came to because they wouldn't allow me to play rugby. And, well, cricket I started when I was 13 years old uh, because my PE teacher, Sarah Andrews, was a fast bowler for Australia and not I, a bad uh, PE teacher. I know, right? I wanted to be just like her, so I made it a point, and so much so I'm now studying to be a PE teacher as well. All right then, um, but what about the bowling? Has that come along, a la Sarah Andrews? <laughs> I think that, that you just answered that question for me. Well, it's, it's not bad, but it's not as fast as her. <laughs> not many are fast as Sarah no. Andrews, no. though. She was one of Australia's best in a very different era to now. Very true. Speaking of uh, different eras, how fortunate do you perceive or maybe not perceive yourself to be playing at the grassroots women's sport at a time when women's sport is mushrooming in its profile, in its attractiveness, in the general sporting community across Australia, something that was not thought possible even as recently as 10 years ago. It's amazing just to see how far women's cricket has come so far. I started cricket in the 2009-2010 season and even then I played at Kissing Point Cricket Club, just my local club, and I was part of the junior team, the boys team. I made it a mixed team and to watch the women's cricket Blossom has been absolutely amazing. I didn't even realise women played cricket. And then as I went through the men's grade cricket, so D grade, C grade and all that kind of stuff, I I realised there were women's teams. And so I I did my research and universities came calling. 
Well, you mentioned you grew up and started playing in boys' teams. Mm-hmm. How hard or easy or indifferent was it going through those formative years as the only girl in what was ostensibly a, a male-dominated sport? I didn't actually struggle with the juniors as much. It was the men's that I really struggled with. The juniors were lovely because I went to school with a lot of them, so I knew their parents. I felt comfortable being in the team with them. But as I got to seniors, that's where all the politics started to take over, and that's where it became a real issue for me. The politics then, it's something that you're very strongly passionate about, which we'll come to a little bit later. But how much of a culture shock was it running into that politics when you got to those men's teams. It was something that is completely almost foreign to what happens in junior sport. Mm. It was a massive shock because I went from, you know, the boys just sulking because they got out to a girl to men starting to sledge me. As I walked into bat, I was a 16, 17-year-old and getting people, getting statements of men saying, oh, another female who wants to be the next Elise Perry, great as I walked into bat, and that's not what you want to hear at, you know, 16, you've taken up the sport, try to have fun, build a connection and social relationship with everyone, and it was kind of belittling to hear that. Uh, was it uh, demoralising at times? Did, did you question continuing playing in the game, or was it just the odd sledge here and there? How, how bad was it on a scale of 1 to 10, let's just say? It wasn't as bad, but towards the end... It started to really climax and that's when I started secretly looking at women's clubs. I didn't want the men to know because I knew they would, you know, try to talk me out of it. Uh, but the other the other teams were okay. There were a few here and there. One of them um, kind of treated me as if I didn't quite know what I was doing. You know, the bowlers coming right arm over the wicket. That means they're coming to the left and or the right and say, like, yeah, I know I'm a accredited New South Wales umpire. I do know that. So it was, it, was, it was a real shock, but it was within my own cricket club that I really got the biggest shock because um, I was one game away from qualifying for the semifinals and they decided to drop me because they didn't want me to qualify. Such is the politics of... Uh, That's of, the politics. Of, ...of sport at that level, which does go on. So from that perspective, from your anecdotal evidence and what you're hearing mm. out there... Uh, is there still a long way to go when it comes to that sort of acceptance? I don't know. The men seem to be quite accepting nowadays. Like, you know, in in 2020 and the 2021 season coming up, um, you know, you just look at how big the women's grand final was in Melbourne. That was huge, and I'm sure... The the World T20 Women's Cup final. Yeah, it was huge, and I'm sure a majority of the crowd were men as well as females. So I think there is a bit more acceptance coming along, but we've still got a bit of a way to go. Indeed. Uh, You mentioned uh, Elise Perry. How much of a role model is she, or is she just another lucky female that got the breaks (laughs) at the right time and is now cashing in because there are quite a number of other players who are perhaps almost as talented, if not as talented, but certainly are just as good on their day as her, arguably, even though Elise Perry is the best, arguably, all-round cricketer, perhaps all-round female sports person we've produced in the last 15 or 20 years in this country. Look, growing up on the North Shore, you know, you read the North Shore Times, you see Elise Perry's face. I remember seeing her on 
um, she's only a few years older than me. And I just remember seeing that thinking, oh, I could do that. I could do that. But it's also not knowing the pathways that the women's cricket have to get to these representative levels. So I wasn't aware. I went through men's grade cricket and then across to universities, whereas there are, you know, um, Margaret Peden Cup and a few other representatives comp- represent com- competitions that are mm. out there that I wasn't aware of. So, I mean, I wonder if I joined earlier and found these competitions, could I have, you know, gotten somewhere quicker? But also I'm quite happy where I am now as well. In saying that, I mean, you're almost not admitting, but saying that perhaps higher honours getting into first grade, has that boat, has that boat sailed for Georgia Lomas Footeran? Or is there still time? I really hope not. I mean, I'm very optimistic, and at the age of 24, I think I can still give the young guns a run for their money. I mean, I go to the gym regularly. I work out, and I put a solid effort in at training. I listen to the coach's advice. So I really hope there is still a chance for me. But also, if there isn't, well, you have to let the young guns go through too. Is there too much of an emphasis on the younger players, the 16, 17-, 18-year-olds, that just seem to be pushed ahead? There is some discussion Elsewhere in the grade game, particularly in the men's grade game, there are a couple of prominent commentators that are very forthright in their views in saying that too much emphasis is placed on the younger player and older players are ditched too early and the grade game is suffering as a result. Yet you speak to some others who think that the balance is right. What's your view? I think you need a balance of senior to juniors in the team because the seniors know how to carry themselves in certain situations and scenarios and can teach the youngsters how to go through those situations as well because some situations can be very stressful for young young players. And I think a balance is good and also you know allows the youngsters to also talk to people who are possibly also more socially mature as well. But... Yeah, it it all depends on on the coach as well and the um, the committees at the clubs and everything. Have we got the balance right right now? I hope so. <laughs> very well. We're diplomat- going to find out. <laughs> very very well diplomatically put. Now you mentioned club committees and you mentioned the club and you mentioned universities. It's one of the great, I wouldn't say anomalies, but it's one of the great quirks of Sydney sport that you've got these two university sports unions who are very much at each other's throats most of the time, particularly in cricket in the men's game in summer. You know, Sydney University, the club that everyone wants to hate because they're that good, and Uni of New South Wales, the battling uh, university, the club that has trouble keeping their own home ground because of various uses for the Village Green on and off the field. Yet when it comes to the women's game, they combine. And it's universities, plural, and they form this powerhouse which has done well in recent years, winning titles uh, and a number of grades, none the least of which was the women's T20 first grade grand final last season. How does it fit in from the inside when people from the outside still scratch their head as to say, how do they make it work when there's such bitter rivals in the men's uh, uh, cricket competition? I have received that question quite a few times, actually, um, just be, being asked that, that question, how, how do you get along? And quite frankly, both clubs, the men's from UCID and UNSW, they both support women's sport and both uh, fitness outputs are ARC Sport and SUSF, Sydney University Sport and Fitness, both support 
the growth of women's sport as well. So we we do get quite a lot of support from the two universities and the men's clubs as well. You know, they're they're our brothers. You're supposed to look out for your sisters and, you know, have a bit of guidance. So, no, it's it's... It's a really good relationship that we have going on with them. You say supposed to. <laughs> um, does it actually happen or are, there, or are there times when perhaps you need more support or you think you're not getting enough? It just depends on what the situation is and the scenarios that you face really. But, I mean, if, if the men needed help, I'm sure we would help as well. So it's, yeah, I help you, you help me kind of thing. Not that Sydney University in particular need all that much help, <laughs> although they're, they're a financial powerhouse, uh, some would say, but... Look, that's that's another story altogether. Take me through the fact that we are a Hornsby Karingai based community station, and you're a local when I it comes to that uh, side of things. Um, Kissing Point, Taramara, where's home these days? Well, it has been, and I don't think it'll change anytime soon. But I grew up in Warunga, and I'm still there. I went to school at Warrawee Public School. I work in Pimble at Pimble Medical and Dental Centre. So, I mean, I've just always been a North Shore gal. So um, a lot of people wonder why I went so far across the bridge to play sport at universities. But when you're at the University of Sydney, come on, you've got to go close to home. Indeed, indeed. Or Uni of New South Wales, depending true, on which true. university uh, you go to. Um, what makes Sydney University then that good? What makes them the powerhouse that they are, apart from the history and the tradition and the fact that from the outside they appear to have a lot of money? <laughs> I For the men's club, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I don't know their secrets. Um, but for us, we're just, we really support each other. The women support each other in and out. We're there for each other. We're, we're a sisterhood kind of because, you know, you spend six months training and playing games in the height of summer five hours on a weekend. Some women like myself play second and third grade, so you're playing Saturday and Sunday. Mm. So I think you just connect with all the other women who who love this sport and passion as much as you do, and you're there for them. Speaking of the sisterhood, it's probably not a bad thing either to go to training and see a Stella Campbell or a, or, 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 or another... Uh, Maddie Dark. Maddie Dark or another... Uh, a WBBL fringe player, um, having the presence of those uh, ladies certainly must lift the standard and lift everyone, including yourself. They certainly do. I mean, when, when those ladies walk into training, you try and be the best you can be. You try and bowl fast. You try not to get out to Stella Campbell. Uh, but they're also fantastic role models for the youngsters as well, the under-15s and the Shield girls we have at Yet training. Stella Campbell is only 17 herself. I know. <laughs> I know. It's terrifying. Her bowling is so fast. Is the potential for Stella Campbell still untapped? No, nah, she will always come back. She's our gal. I'm talking about untapped as far as her pace, as far as where she can go uh, in the game. Uh, a lot of people have earmarked her as long-term Australian opening bowler for a lot of years when the time comes. Um, but how much pressure is that to bear on someone so young? I think it's quite a bit of pressure to, you know, be given as well. But Stella can handle the pressure. We've seen her bowl in the WBBL. She's taken her first wicket. She's absolutely fantastic, and I do not want to face her anytime soon. <laughs> that's the theory, or that's the, the word going around, that uh, if you face her, you have to cop a few uh, to make a few, as yeah. in bruises, because yeah. she's not afraid to bang the ball in short. 
No, she's not. And the season before she signed with the Sydney Sixers, I remember facing her in the nets and she clipped me right on the Achilles, right where there's no padding and I got a bit of a dead leg and that was horrible. And you're still feeling that dead leg today? Oh, yeah, of course. That's why I can't perform. That's your story and you're sticking to it. (laughs) Yep. Take me through then football then. Uh, You mentioned that there were compromises and you had to play cricket. So, and... There's the rugby side of the of the family, the South African side, but where does football come into play? Obviously, on the on the Greek side, and how did you get involved there? And where did goalkeeping come into play? Well, the goalkeeping came into play because cardio was not a strong point of mine, and I and even gym, though you've just said you go to the gym. I go to the it, wait, wait, okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Cardio, yeah, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> but um no, as as a junior, you don't have a dedicated goalie, so a lot of kids rotate in each week and out and and I remember being stuck in goals. My grandfather was the coach and he stuck me in there. Actually, he was the assistant coach, and I found out I had a very fast reaction time, so I could stop the ball. I dive to stop the ball like a lot of kids wouldn't and I had a punt kick that would clear the ball as well so it would relieve all the pressure on us but my grandfather and my my mum's side being Greek uh, my grandfather used to play soccer in in Greece as well so I know he was very proud to be able to take me to training and take me to games and he loved it. How important is it that parents still are involved today like they are or were with you in driving their kids to training all those extra hours, all those Tuesday and Thursday nights and all those Saturday mornings. Uh, It's been a tradition in the Australian sporting landscape forever and a day, hasn't it? It has. It has. My grandfather took me to, as I said, a lot of trainings and games. Uh, But when my parents took me as well, well, you, you got to talk about your week and it was just, you know, a bit of an extension of around the dinner table, how was your day kind of thing. You got to find out how school was and what they were learning and everything like that as well. How underestimated is those are those discussions? You mentioned extension of the dinner table because mm. in our busy lifestyles in the 21st century, people are always not seeing each other as much um, until at least the coronavirus yeah. uh, pandemic came along, which we'll come to in a moment. But the extension of the dinner table in the car on the way to training, is that perhaps a sad commentary that that's one of the few times in the week that families actually talk to each other these days? It is sad, but it's also quite nice as well because I know I got to know my parents quite a bit as well through that time. They would tell me about their day. So, you know, you kind of – it's quality time in a sense as well. And Mm. as I did a lot of sport and a lot of different sports as well, I did swimming for a number of years, you, you grow closer to your parents and that certainly brought me closer to mine. What about uh, the choice between sports? In your situation, you could probably play both because you haven't got to the level of Elise Perry where she had to make hers. Mm. And we were discussing that in the green room before we started uh, recording this episode. Uh, But if push came to... Well, ideally, you'd want to play as many sports as you can. You'd want to play your football in in the winter and your cricket in the summer for as long as you could... But if things started to develop and you made your way up the grades, there would inevitably be a choice, wouldn't there? And if there is, what would it be? 
I really couldn't tell you because I my mood changes very quickly with some decisions, but ultimately, well, this season is going to be a test because Katie the. Um, NSFA, the Northern Suburbs Football Association, has announced there will be a full 14-week uh, competition for soccer. And and you play in that competition for? I play for in that Kissing Point, Point Football Club. In and, hello, and hello to those at Kissing Point. <laughs> hey, guys, love you. But their season is going to finish either just as cricket is starting or a few weeks afterwards. So I am going to have to play this this juggling act of you know, playing trial games or playing in, in my soccer team where we may very well be in finals. What? How about how tough a choice would that be? It already gives me anxiety just thinking about it. So <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm going to balance it, but uh, there may be a lot of stress balls involved. Well, uh, have you had discussions then with either party or are you waiting till as late as possible to have those discussions with both sets of coaches, both sets of administrators? Well, being the team manager of the women's football team that I'm in, Mm. it it takes a little bit away of that, so I kind of have to negotiate with myself. Mm. But I'm waiting to see how COVID goes first because evidently we've had quite a few setbacks with COVID and especially with what's happening in Victoria at the moment as well. Mm. So we don't really know, but Cricket New South Wales have also announced that second and third grade will wait until... Uh, grounds are becoming available from rugby season and soccer season. So we may very well see, but who really knows? It's such an uncertain time at the moment. It is. Um, Now, you mentioned rugby. You still have a love of that game, of that code, even though you never got to play it. Mm -hmm. Um, Has that boat sailed? Do you still want to play rugby at some point in the future, or is that now something that's a bit... A bit in the too hard basket, possibly. I've thought about I've thought about playing, and I remember talking to my parents about it a couple of years ago. And mum and dad both said, "If you want to play, that's your choice, but we won't come and watch." Which is fair enough. It it can be quite distressing to watch your child get trampled. Uh, but honest, honestly, I don't know. I think about it. My latest thing is American football. So the gridiron. Mm-hmm. I love gridiron. I love watching college football. So I often wonder if I could be a quarterback because I have the ability as a cricketer to throw a ball mm-hmm. at a great distance. So I don't know. I'm, I'm weighing up my options because who knows if uh, soccer and cricket come to an end for me. Well, um, hopefully they don't come to an end I hope not. soon or much later in the future because you're still young enough. You mentioned at 24 to have the time to to contribute to both of those sports as much as you can. And you mentioned that you still have aspirations to get up the grades, perhaps not in football, but certainly in cricket. But it's a tough gig at universities when you've got all of that quality sitting in that first grade side right now. Yeah, it's going to be a real, real competition to try and get into first grade. But even in second grade, I'm loving it. I love my teammates and I'll do anything to help them out on the field and off the field as well. Mm -hmm. So, But even just being at the University of Sydney as well, I study full-time to become a PE teacher at University of Sydney and just being on campus gives you the drive to go ahead and do whatever possible to do anything. Especially at one of the, still this country's most uh, prestigious campuses where the history just drips down from some of those old yep. buildings. <laughs> what about the feeling of walking around that campus? You know, Do you feel the history? Do you feel those old ghosts looking down... 
from those corridors from time to time as thinking as who's made their way through those corridors over the last 100-plus years. Well, I mean, if those ghosts could help me and give me a couple of the answers to an essay, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, no, you de- you definitely feel it. And you even looking at the alumni of Sydney University, you can see all the effort and the dedication and hours that's been put into educa- education on the campus. And mm. you can just feel it. And my aunt is an alumni of Sydney University as well. So it feels nice to share a piece of that with her. Um, I'm sure that she has shared some stories with you about her times in a much different era. Yeah. <laughs> to what? No the, online study. The, exactly. A much different era back in her time to, to now. Do you feel that difference sometimes or do you just listen to those stories and go, oh, yeah, right, okay. I think they're very relatable, though, because we, we've spoken about you know failing units and everything like that and... I've already done a degree at Macquarie University as well, so this is my second degree. Mm. But it, it's just very relatable to hear other people's university stories and you, you kind of put yourself and go, oh, yeah, 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 I know that feeling. I know how that feels, that anxiety of waiting for grades or waiting to see if you'll graduate and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, I share it with my mum and, you know, anybody who went to university or some kind of... Um, higher education. One last thing, because uh, before we take the break, because mm. time has flown here and uh, referee is looking at the stopwatch to see whether there's any added time in this first half. Um, the juggling act of study, work, sport, and now this, <laughs> the House of H, Triple H Radio. Um, how much of an effort is it to sit down and divvy up the time? in an ever-increasing uh, world of frenetic pace with, with, with COVID-19 thrown in? It honestly hasn't been that hard. I thrive under pressure, as a goalkeeper should, but quite honestly, my parents and my colleagues and my teammates are so supportive. They understand if I might be late for something, but, you know, uni, work, every and all that comes first, but it has all clicked into place. I haven't really had to do much juggling. It all just kind of worked. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. That's okay. <laughs> uh, the work-life balance, though, is something that um, is not just uh, a fad or it's not just a, a throwaway line. It's it's real life for you, isn't it? It is. It is. And, I mean, there's been a few times of when I was still at uni on campus of doing assignments on the train between work and, and, you know, maybe going to a sports training of some kind. but Going to sleep at training, catching a quick five or ten minute power nap? <sighs> no, that's what coffee's for, Tony. <laughs> but no, no, it's, it's all great. And, I mean, studying online, I was ahead on all my assessments. I didn't know what to do with my time, quite frankly. Well, um, we'll come to that in the second half of this episode because... The referee has blown half-time at the end of stoppage time, at the end of this first half. Uh, we'll come back after the break and we'll talk about how COVID-19 has affected you personally and where you see it going, how you started at Triple H and in an adaptation of, of a drop and give me 20 from somewhere else, it'll be Tony's top five as this episode of Splinters continues. I'm Dr Nick Coatsworth, your Deputy Chief Medical Officer. As we start to get back out there, it's my job to remind all Australians to be COVID safe. One, wash your hands as often as possible. Two, 
Keep your distance where you can. Three, join millions of Aussies helping our health workers by having the COVID-safe app. And if you're feeling sick with cold or flu-like symptoms, stay at home and speak to your doctor about getting tested. Together, we can reduce the risk of a second wave. Let's all stay COVID-free and do the three. Authorised by the Chief Medical Officer, Canberra. Back to Splinters on a Tuesday night. Triple H 100.1 FM and also on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. And then afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, all the bad places as well. And you know I keep coming back to Mears Cast. Gotta find out what Mears Cast is like one day, let me tell you. Anyway, back to business and uh, we're profiling. Our latest addition to 2 Triple H Sports, 2 Triple H FM Women's Sport, our latest female commentator, Georgia Lomas Futuran, who's joined us on this episode of Splinters. Georgia, tell me about how Triple H came into the picture then. Uh, uh, was it nagging from a certain individual until <laughs> you had to shut him up? Was it curiosity as to... Um, how people like Kelly Underwood and and uh, Yvonne Sampson and Aaron Mullen did their thing, or was it something completely different again? Well, I remember first becoming aware of Triple H uh, as I run the social media for the university's women's cricket club. A message came through from a certain Anthony Caruso. And, and hello to you, Mr Caruso. <laughs> and my coach and I looked at it and it was looking for an individual and... I, know, I think Tim passed it on to Zoe Benjamin. But then... Carissa- Who has been a great addition to the team and uh, there's a profile for her coming up in the not-too-distant future too. There is. And then Caruso and I became friends on Facebook and he just kind of kept messaging me and messaging me, trying to push this, this, women's, this women's program. And he invited me into the commentary box at North Sydney Oval for the grand final of Universities vs Northern Districts. And at that point, I think I was kind of sold because who doesn't love saying play-by-play as to what's happening in sport? Mm. So I decided to sign on. And the rest, as they say, is sort of history because you've found a way to express and develop your love of rugby with the burgeoning rugby uh, broadcasts, starting with the Hornsby Lions home games and hopefully with some Shoot Shield broadcasts. How exciting is that to... Uh, follow rugby that way at a level not too removed from international and super rugby level. I'm so excited. I grew up going to Eastwood games with my dad. Uh, I think I was about seven years old, seven, eight, when he first took me and he would get the membership and we'd go in and watch the games. And I just remember if the game was played on TV, I tried to do anything in my power to get on that TV screen and try and catch the ball as it flew out in, into the sidelines. So I, I was that kid. I wanted to catch the ball. And get the face on the telly. Of course. Oh. I still do that at the cricket. Well, that's depending on how close you get to the to the boundary fence and oh. whether the rope is set too far in or too far out. But, but look, that's another story. So what was your first that you can remember sporting experience? You may have just... Mentioned that at seven, you, the trips to TGB on the field to watch the mm. Woodies and the likes of 
you know, not so much Brett Papworth because it was after his time, but a few of the others of that, you know, late 90s into 2000s into 2010s uh, era of, uh, of the Woodies there. Was that the first sporting memory or was it something else? First sporting memory would have to be watching just the Wallabies on TV with Dad and it got to the point where I was so fixated on them. I knew every single player and their position and their number and I would actually be telling Dad what was happening during these games and saying, oh, you know, Sterling Mortlock passed to... And it was it was fantastic. I would love it so much. And I know my grandfather was also very proud because he's a very big rugby union fan. Mm. All right, then. Um, your thoughts? As a rugby fan, one of those people that Rugby Australia are trying to keep in the game through this tumultuous period over the last 10 years in particular, where has... Rugby Australia gone wrong? Or is that another Splinters episode for another time? And where can they restore things? Because right now, it seems to be at as low an ebb as it has been at that representative level uh, to the point where for an outfit that doesn't seem to have a lot of money, they're willing to spend allegedly a million dollars a year on a 16-year-old kid. Oh, well, Okay. (laughs) Well, I think we should ask Michael Checker, not not the Wallabies coach, the New South Wales Waratahs coach, because that same year we won the pre- we won the premiership. Well, the Waratahs won the Super yes. Rugby title. Yes, with uh, Bernard Foley kicking a ball from I think it was like fifty three meters out of goal. So it, it was pretty impressive. I think we should ask Michael Checker. But as soon as he got into Wallabies coach, I didn't see that same passion. Really? Yeah. For what reason would it have been? The politics, the the pressure, um, trying to maintain the standard in a green and gold environment, trying to work with someone like Raylene Castle, was it, or or none of those things, was it something else? I think everything of that is is a huge factor, and I mean you're dealing with players who are very different in in skill and ability. Some are faster than others, and some are stronger than others as well. But let's not let Mick uh, get his hands on this one because. He'll just say that the New Zealand All Blacks are right. Well, that's another story altogether. Where does it turn around? Is it the long road back? Because at club level, the shoot shield level, and perhaps even at Hornsby Lions at a local level, the game's going okay. People are following it, and there seems to be a reasonable standard. Where do we get that bridge right between the club level and then the provincial level onto the Wallaby level? Or... Is there more to it than meets the eye? There was a big part of an era not too long ago where there was a lot of marketing going into the Wallabies games and because they were receiving the, the views and, and people watching and buying tickets. But within recent years, there have been games on I haven't even noticed. My parents had, my dad had to tell me that a game was on. I had no idea. So... I'm wondering if maybe it's marketing aspect as as well as playing. Well, the the marketing aspect was definitely a top-down philosophy rather than a bottom-up philosophy, whereas work on the shoot shield and get the grassroots going that way, it was all into the Wallabies, and when the Wallabies didn't perform, that's when things have also appeared to have gone downhill to the point where the opening round of Super Rugby with... Only 60,000 viewers on pay television compared to 1.1 million and 800,000 of the other two codes that oppose it in winter 
namely league and, and Australian football in this country, that's a real indictment, isn't it? It's quite scary to hear the numbers drop so significantly. But, I mean, league and AFL have both both put a lot of money into publicity and also with training as well. So maybe the training standards are dropping. What about free-to-air, though? We haven't had Super Rugby on free-to-air for a number of years now and there's no sign of any free-to-air coverage soon. Despite Raylene Castle allegedly being within two weeks of securing an all-in deal that would have included free-to-air coverage of Super Rugby and Shoot Shield Club Rugby, as well as the Queensland equivalent in Brisbane, uh, is that the next key to try and get free-to-air coverage? On the other hand, which free-to-air station would be interested now? Well, not ma- not many people have Foxtel nowadays, I've noticed. But free-to-air may very well be the answer and I guess who's going to put out the best contract deal and scoop it up? Well, that's if anyone wants to put it out there. Or does it have to go the other way? A broke Rugby Australia having to pay television stations to put Super Rugby on. Time will tell. Coronavirus, COVID-19. It's affected all of our lives. The coronavirus curtain has come down. The first wave has been, the second wave may be just over the horizon in Sydney and New South Wales. The second wave is right in the face of Victoria right now. Uh, How has initially COVID-19 affected you personally from a sports perspective? Because it affected the end of the cricket summer. The finals were all of a sudden cancelled and you never got the chance to play any finals cricket in March. No. To start off with. Well, first grade didn't get to, but third grade did. We got our semi-finals in and and still didn't make it. But it it was hard to comprehend that the season was ending early because of a pandemic. You know, we haven't had something this serious in a number of years and I'm sure a century. Men, yeah, men, many of us wouldn't have experienced this before. So to be told that, you know, sport was done, you couldn't go to training, you couldn't do these certain these certain activities was was quite hard, especially on me. I'm a very social person and, you know, I love cricket and sport and getting out there and being told you couldn't high-five in the semi-final was very hard. So we, we came up with a variation, but it just wasn't the same. Well, that variation has now become the new norm, hasn't it? The, mm. the raising of the elbow or the, or the clenched fist or the, or the back turn or whatever. Whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever team comes up with whatever, whatever option it is... Uh, do we see? Do you see a day where it does get back to pre-coronavirus, or is this the new norm that we're stuck with now until we get a vaccine? Well, COVID has surprised the world, and it has definitely scarred the world as well. So I don't know if sport will ever be the same. I know when I watch sport nowadays, because it's back on TV, I see someone standing within 1.5 metres and I freak out. And they're hugging, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. So... I know I'm going to be very careful from now on, but I'm definitely not going to be putting my saliva on that cricket ball anymore. Well, that's we'll come to that in a moment. You mentioned social distancing. Even at local level, I know that you were telling me also off air in the green room how shocked you were when you were calling the Hornsby Lions at Mark Taylor Oval recently, how social distancing was just flagrantly, flagrantly uh, abandoned out next to the pitch, next to the field of play, as if it never happened. It was scary to see that. Working in in healthcare and, you know, being told to social distance and wear masks and 
sanitize your hands and everything, I definitely think it's changed my point of view. But to see people, you know, standing very close in in these areas and even in the shopping centre on, on, you know, the escalators and everything. I told someone off the other day because he was standing too close and I turned around and I looked up at him and said social distancing and he backed off. How sad is it that you have to do that in public though? Very. <laughs> well, where does this end then? Where does this end apart from a vaccine or do we have to go down a, a Victorian Italian scenario where we are locked down for long periods for a second time for the message to get through? I certainly hope not because that was a lot of time at home and as much as I love my room, I don't think I can live in there for another two, three, four weeks again. Let you know, alone I, two, three, four, five months. Yeah, true. That, that, was, that was pushing it and I'm sure I started to go insane and my parents noticed that very quickly. But... You know, I'm really hoping that people will change their perspectives of how diseases are spread. And, I mean, I'm sure we've seen influenza numbers down this year because people not touching and sneezing at each other and coughing on each other. You mentioned you work in healthcare, um, in the dental side, um, in, in your paid position. Mm-hmm. Um, the awareness has become so heightened for all healthcare workers in the front line, yourself uh, uh, included. Was that a bit of a shock how much things weren't so ignored but weren't as uh, detailed prior to coronavirus as they are now, even in healthcare? In healthcare, you become very aware of how much common sense is lacked. And it's very surprising because, you know, people sneeze, but they cough and sneeze into their hands or they don't cough and sneeze into their elbow and instantly you think, right, particles are going everywhere. This isn't good. But it took a pandemic for people to realise that they had to sanitise and wash their hands regularly not to spread disease and virus. And that was, um, that was a sad part about it. We watch, when we watch this space in the, uh, with the coronavirus curtain uh, with great interest... Now, prior to the break, you mentioned the choice that would have to be made between cricket and football if things clashed uh, at the back end of the season. Um, That's upon us now, and that may be upon us come uh, October and November. Uh, How devastating would it be for that to all come crashing down if the numbers go through to Victorian levels and community sport is stopped? Well, it's definitely going to affect my mental health as I I love my sport and, you know, my mental health come, stems from, from being able to play sport and train. So, How important then was it to try and maintain mental health during the first wave, during lockdown 1.0 in that period of March, April and May when certainly at that time there was no light at the end of the tunnel? I know my friends and I have a very close group of friends that we agreed we would either call each other or message each other just to check how we were all going because one of my friends has has four children and she was at home with them, homeschooling them. So we we all agreed that we would, you know, check in with each other regularly and make sure we were there to be a shoulder to cry on from a distance if if required. Uh, The mental health uh, story is the untold story of the COVID-19 curtain, isn't it? It certainly is. All right. What about... uh Going forward then, 
moving into the summer of third grade into second grade, have you been told there's a possible opportunity to play ones or has that conversation not happened yet? First grade conversation from Cricket New South Wales is that first grade will go ahead on their set date uh, at the beginning of October, I believe it is, or um, second week of October. October 10 and 11, I believe. Correct. But as for as for the rest of the competition, as I stated earlier, we, we just have to wait and see. All right. What about internally? Have you been told that there's a possibility to play ones this summer or is it, uh, or is it not in the conversation at the moment? Let's get out on the field first and actually play some games before we even think about team selections. Well, considering I haven't held a bat since, since you know, March, I don't really want to know what my school is like at the moment. I probably would miss a ball completely. Uh, <laughs> but but well, well, we can always, you know, see and I think first grade could be a possibility. But it's a tough gig to get into but with that squad. I'm going to work my, my behind off. Yeah, and you'd have to perhaps wait for the WBBL to start for the likes of Dark and Campbell to go away and then wait for an opening there. That's fine. I have huge respect for those girls and they've, they've put in the hard yards and, and gotten their rewards, so I'm more than happy to wait. What about Triple H then? You've had a taste. You like what you see. Does that possibility entertain the mind of Georgia Lomas Future and going forward of perhaps being, okay, not a Kelly Underwood or a or an Aaron Mullen or an Yvonne Sampson, but someone of that ilk uh, going forward, someone that can do the job more than adequately covering sport from a women's perspective. I've had a taste of commentary and I'm thirsty for more. (laughs) Well, not just here at Triple H, but... Just in general. (laughs) Just elsewhere. It's something... Why is that? Is that something that you never thought was possible or something you never considered? I'd never thought of it as an opportunity. You know, you see a lot of cricketers who have finished their career and then taking up commentary and sports radio and everything, but I didn't really think it was a possibility to play and still have have these skills and, and, um, and work in radio. All right. Speaking of skills, it's now time for, uh, as we mentioned before the break, it's not a drop and give me 20 that was touted by... Anthony Caruso at another place at another time. And given that there are only a few minutes left before the umpires come out and check the light meters before the end of play on this episode of Splinters, there is enough time, though, for what I call Tony's Top 5. Five questions that uh, may put you on the spot but may give an insight onto what sport is like out there at the grassroots level. So here's question one of Tony's Top 5. Who is the funniest teammate in any sport that you've played with? Erica. And, and, and it doesn't have to be one. If it's more than one, it can be more than one. I've, I've thought of one instantly, and that would be Erica James. I know she has uh, been on the podcast before, mm. but she is hands down the funniest teammate instantly brings everyone to laughter and a bit of confusion, especially as some of her jokes are a little outdated. But... She's a good laugh. She's a good laugh. Well, um, how much of an inspiration is it to play alongside Erica James, given what she's gone through in her life and the mantle that she has to carry, not of her choice, mm. as Australia's frontline transgendered cricketer? 
I, I love Erica. She's like a sister to me. We're, we're great friends and, you know, a lot of pub sessions after training as well. But, no, she's she's fantastic and she's brought a different aspect to the cricket club and she's just so funny and just her personality really shines on other players when she's around. Here's question two. The funniest on-field incident in any sport that you've played in your time. Now, we'll have to try and keep this relatively clean, of course. Of course. But I'm sure that you've seen some things on the field that you just even now think to yourself, wow, and just burst out laughing. When, when I think of funny incidents, the, I always think of weather instantly because in soccer, as soon as it rains and it's muddy, that's when people slip, that's when people fall. And, and unfortunately, the funniest thing that happened was to me as a goalkeeper at House and Oval, I think I was 12 years old, it had poured, the game still went ahead. Mm. I was goalkeeping in ankle-deep water and the ball was kicked straight to me and... Me being me, I dived for the ball, but the puddle stopped it and I ended up going headfirst into that puddle. <laughs> and not picking up the ball at all. Oh, the ball stopped just flat in the puddle, so I had to try and crawl and catch it <laughs> as it was floating. Oh, uh, well, Did you catch it eventually or did the opposing striker get there in time and make it difficult? No, I, I got to it. I got to it, but I remember the sideline going, yeah, huh? <laughs> and the roar of the crowd that went up. <laughs> all right. Um, speaking of the roar of the crowd, here's uh, question three, or maybe not so much the roar of the crowd. You may have touched on this already mm-hmm. uh, in the first half of this episode, but question three, the best, who is the best sledger that you've played with or against for that matter? You've mentioned that when you were playing with the men that it got nasty and personal, but on the other side... There's this view that banter and sledging is very much part of the Australian sporting landscape when it's timed right and it's said right under the right circumstances. So what's the funniest one that you've heard or that you've even delivered yourself? Well, well, sledging in women's cricket isn't as strong as the men's. It's a much more supportive environment, I've noticed. But... I like. Bringing... I mentioned all sport. Yeah, yeah. includes now soccer no, but, and football well, as well. Mm. Soccer, we just heckle each other. Um, but definitely for cricket, I've noticed just my really silly questions. I had appendicitis last year, and then when I came back to cricket, I said, I remember sit, sitting at first slip and asking my wicketkeeper loud enough so the batsman could hear, "Do dogs get appendicitis?" And the poor batsman had to pull away before the ball was faced. She couldn't deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad, actually. (laughs) That's not bad at all. All right. So that's that's question three. Um, All right. Question four. um, Most memorable sporting moment that you've seen live? Ooh. Seen live. It's a tough one. It you is. would have seen a few. I know, I've definitely seen. It doesn't a few. have to be one. You can narrow it down to three or four if you like. Quite frankly, I actually remember being at the Shoot Shield game when Eastwood beat West Harbour a number of number of years ago now. But I remember going with my dad and we sat in the crowd at Concord Oval, and that was fantastic just to watch 
all the Eastwood fans swarm onto the field to support this their team after they'd won, hold this 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 um, shield up was fantastic. A grand final we're talking about. Yeah, a few grand years ago grand now. final, grand final shoot shield at Concord Oval. It was absolutely fantastic. Just the atmosphere was amazing. It was amazing to watch. Okay, all right then, and. Uh, Lastly, um, in question five, um, if there was, and I'm going to bring the nasty side out here for the last question, for question five, mm-hmm. um, opponent um, or uh, opposition player that um, has got under your skin the most or if the word hate comes to mind or if someone or someone you didn't like or someone that you enjoyed getting out more for whatever reason. Uh, is there anyone that comes to mind? And again, it doesn't have to be one. It can be a couple. As as soon as you said that, I instantly thought of our soccer competition and I'd have to say Asquith Football Club because they, they, they put up a bit of a fight and I remember last year in goals – one of the girl, one of Asquith's forwards actually wrapped her arms around my arm as I jumped for the ball. A wrestling and, move. Yeah. And I just remember looking at her going, let go. Like, we're both going to fall on each other. And we fell on each other and I just pushed her off and I said, do you mind? But ever, ever since and before then, even then, Kissing Point always had some kind of a rivalry with, with Asquith. When I see their name in, in our... Fixtures, I think, oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> well, this is going to be a day to just sharpen the studs on the boots a little bit. And, just... and wear my mouth guard and my headgear. So it, it's going to be a competition. Uh, good evening to uh, and hello to the Asquith Football Club if they're <laughs> listening. Look, um, one very quick one before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, the future. Where does Georgia Loma's future and see herself in a sporting perspective in five Ten years from now, or is that too far ahead to look? Well, at that stage, I'll probably still be studying, so I'll probably still be at a university. third degree, <laughs> a PhD, <laughs> masters. <laughs> who who knows? You know, sky's your limit. But honestly, still part of the committee at Universities Women's Cricket Club, still a player, still at Kissing Point, possibly also in the committee, and who knows? Maybe even playing for New South Wales or Australia if I if I really put the effort in. Well, certainly there's nothing to be ashamed about being on the committee at grassroots level. It's what makes Australian sport tick, particularly in the burgeoning women's sports arena that is developing and blossoming before our very eyes uh, as we speak in this country. And who knows, maybe a role on the Triple H sports commentary team on the uh, mooted women's sports program to come. Uh, That's it. Referee has just blown full time. We are out of time then on this episode of Splinters. Thank you so much, uh, Georgia Lomas Futurin, for sharing some of your time with us on Splinters. It's great to have you on board and perhaps open your eyes to something different that you didn't think was possible even 12 months ago. Um, We look forward to having you as a breath of fresh air on our women's sport and our general sports commentary team now and into the future. Thank you so much for your time on Splinters. Thank you for having me and... Let's get the season underway. Indeed. All right, that does take us out for this episode of Splinters. Thank you so much for your company. We'll be back again with another episode of Splinters next Tuesday night at 8 o'clock.
Until then, for the sports team, my name is Tony Dyson. For this episode of Splitters, it's goodbye. Goodbye.